So this morning, as we dive into marriage, I, I don't want to assume anything. I want to just like walk into this with our eyes wide open and make sure that we are looking at marriage um, really f- from a starting point of where I hope every believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in him, and I don't assume that every person in here does, and if you don't believe in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you don't buy into this thing we call Christianity, um, like you, this is a safe place for you to come, okay? It's okay to be here. Uh, it's okay to not believe what we believe and to learn. And we believe that, in fact, if you stick around and you just apply the Bible, you can still get wisdom out of it. If you don't believe that Jesus is a Savior, you won't get the full effect of what this is really all about. But you can apply it and you'll find that it's true and good. But here's the thing. I want to make sure that you guys understand that the place that I'm coming from as I speak about marriage, as Josue speaks about marriage, as Harley speaks about uh, parenting, uh, and then we speak about singleness. As we talk about those things, we're not just making this stuff up, all right? That's a good thing, right? You don't want me just to make up my opinion and, and kind of figure out what makes sense because the truth is, is that we can, we can make some things in our head uh, work and we can figure them out in our head and, and, it, and it can create some really bad messes when we go with just our reasoning. So we need God. We need God's help. We need God's wisdom. And so I just want to stop and just pray real quick a prayer that God would speak to us in the next five weeks as we ask him to make us into the families that he wants us to be. So would you just pray that with me? God, would you just lead us as we go through this next five weeks of, se- of series of teaching on family, on marriage, on parenting, on singleness. God, we need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your help. We need hope that it's going to be okay, that it's going to work out, that, that this is possible. So this morning, I just pray for every person in this room, myself included, that you would grow us to the next level of our walk with you and with our love for you, and also, God, what our families should be. We need your help, God. We need it. We just pray that you would use us this morning. Pray it in your name. Amen. So as we get into the text, as we think about that, three things that are just a starting point. Number one is this. It's in your notes there if you've got a guide, and I encourage you to fill this out because we're going to have to move really fast to get through all the material Um, it's dangerous for me to have one week to speak on marriage because there's just so much I could say, okay? So I'm just praying for God to cut out the stuff I don't need to say. First thing is this. God is the designer of marriage. God is the designer of marriage. Now that may seem very basic and very straightforward for you, but can I just tell you, when you take a snapshot of the culture and you look at the world around us, that's not the prevailing belief. It's not the way that people see marriage. They don't see God as the designer. They think it's a man-made institution that somehow legally, like, we have the right to marry and to do this thing. And, and, and we, do, uh, we do have, in essence, the ability with our country's laws to have people go and get married uh, by a justice of the peace and to help two people's lives legally become joined together and to function as a married couple. But listen, God is the designer of marriage. He's the one who founded it. He initiated it. He established it. He established the institution of marriage. And, I, and, and so when I teach on marriage and family this morning, I'm teaching from a place to say to you that I believe that God is the one who created this thing we call marriage. And it's important because if he is the founder of marriage, if he is the one who established it, then we better listen to what he has to say. Because I think he knows better than we do how this thing works. Would you agree? I think he understands better how this thing functions and how we should operate, which really leads me to my second point this morning, which is this, that not only is God the designer of marriage, but his word, the Bible, it's his handbook for life, for all of life, including marriage. 
And as I said a while ago, whether you buy into Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world or not, you can go to his word. It's full of wisdom, and it will give you insight on how to live. Now, I don't think you can sustain a life that follows the the law perfectly uh, without Christ redeeming you and restoring you. And even at that, like, you're going to need grace again and again and again as you fail, because I fail every single day to be who God wants me to be and and to to do what I I know I should do, okay? But here's the thing. God's Word has got wisdom for us, and if you have a problem, if you have an issue in life, you can go to His Word. And if you can't find it there, come find me, come find one of our elders, come find one of our staff. We'd love to sit down with you and talk to you about what God's Word says, because the Scripture says about itself, it is living, it's active, it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. It covers the gamut. It fills us with the knowledge that we need to live the life that God has called us to live. Okay? And so I believe this morning his word is the handbook. It's the guidebook because he's the author. This is like, it's the user's manual for how life is supposed to work. But the third thing is this. Couples that do not operate believing number one and number two, what I just said, that God's the designer and that his word is the handbook, if you don't function with that belief system in place, you will never fully, catch this, you will never fully experience what marriage was intended to be. Never fully. Now, I am not one who believes that you can't experience some good things out of marriage apart from God. In fact, I know some people who are married and they don't believe in God or they don't buy into Jesus as the Savior or the Son of God, like I've mentioned a couple times. But you know what? They have a good friendship in their marriage. Um, or at least it seems, appears to be that way. They have uh, maybe a, they've experienced some romance. And it's been a fulfilling thing for them. They've experienced having someone to walk through life with them and, and to, to have kids with them and to raise kids. And I've seen some very moral people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the Savior of their souls. So what, what I'm saying to you this morning is that you can probably get bits and pieces of marriage, but you will never fully experience the marriage that God has for you apart from God, apart from his way in his plan, and his purpose. Are you with me? Okay, I'm just telling you that this morning. I know you, some of you may not believe that yet, but I'm just telling you straight up, you cannot do marriage apart from God and expect that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go the way it was supposed to be. Because we need God. He's the designer of it, and we need him to help us with it. So I want us to look at a passage in the Bible this morning from Genesis chapter 2. It's the, very, uh, it's the second chapter in the Bible, but it's the very first book of the Bible, right? And so... Um, the Bible, interestingly enough, begins with a wedding, and it ends with a wedding. Anybody like to go to weddings? They're always entertaining, right? Uh, I feel like they usually are. We, you know, it's like you, you plan for this thing, and you plan for this thing, and there's all this stress, and something always ha- happens wrong, and everybody is laughing about it, and, you know, the flower girl doesn't do her thing, or the ring bearer does something, but that's kind of just the fun part of it. I've gotten to officiate a number of weddings. I love going to weddings. Um, I think they're just a beautiful celebration of love and, and, and what God wants us to experience in that. It's, it's awesome. But if your marriage is the pinnacle of your relationship, you're in trouble, right? If marriage is the, if the if that ceremony, if that's the pinnacle of your relationship, like, you're in trouble. Because here's the deal, like, hopefully it's just a launch point for, for people in their marriage. Well, interestingly enough, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we get to see a marriage. Anybody know who the officiant uh, is for the, uh, the marriage in this, this, this wedding? It's God. God was the first marriage officiant, okay? He, he's a, he officiates this marriage here. Verse 18, follow along with me, and we're going to make some observations um, as we finish up. Here we go. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good for man to be alone. That's important. I will make a helper as his complement. I want you to note that word complement. This is a big key here, okay? Complement. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. So here's man. He's alone. He needs a helper, and God makes some animals. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's how it reads. It's an interesting thought. I don't know if that's hit you before, but he's alone, and God makes him some animals, and he gives him a job. All right? What's the job? His job is to name the animal. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky, and he brought each of them to the man to see what he would call it. How fun would that be? That'd be an awesome job, right? Elephant, donkey, rhinoceros. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to ask Adam when we get to heaven. Like, why did you name that that animal that, right? There it says, And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found as his complement. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, and he closed the, f- the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And at that point, Adam breaks out into his rendition of at last. Right? Because he is like wowed. In fact, that's why I think it's woman. It's whoa, man. Like he seriously has a moment of just like, this is unbelievable. I mean, all these, these other creatures you brought, those were like cool and all God. But wow. This is, and he says, the most intimate thing he could say, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Who says God's not romantic? Who says God's not into love and and to intimacy? Man, he invented this. He created this. He established this. We're getting a cheap, we're getting sold a cheap version of this by Hollywood and the culture and the world around us, aren't we? We We're buying into, like, God, this is, this is awesome. This is amazing. This one is at bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from the man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother, we're going to come back to that in a second, and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and the men said amen, yet felt no shame. Okay? They were naked and felt no shame. Now that would be an awesome thought, that there's no shame in the world. So here's the thing. I want to start out by explaining a little bit of what the definition of marriage is. Because the world tries to define a marriage a lot of different ways, but as I said, my presupposition is that we got to go to God's Word and ask Him how He defines marriage. Here's the definition for you. It's going to take you a minute to write these words down if you're following along, but keep this definition close because this is a good definition for us to work with. It's lengthy. A public, exclusive, and permanent lifelong commitment between a man and a woman to give their entire lives to one another. Let me say that one more time. A public, exclusive, and permanent lifelong commitment between a man and a woman to give their entire lives to one another. 
Now, let's be honest. There's some scary words in there, right? I mean, let's just be honest this morning. There's some scary words in there. I mean, permanent, exclusive, lifelong, entire. Wow, that's pretty intense. But that's what he says, that's what God says marriage is. This is what it's designed to be. This is what he intended for it to be. You know, the first thing he says, and he thinks about, it, it's, I said it's a public thing. Listen, um, men in the room, women in the room, wear your wedding ring proud. You are off the market. You're off the market. I tell my kids all the time, listen, I wear this wedding ring and I want the world to know I am not uh, on the market any longer. I belong to another woman, and her name is Jada Shock. And I love her, and I'm committed to her, and I want the world to know that. I don't care if you get it tattooed on. I don't care if you wear gold, silver, titanium like this thing. I don't, it doesn't matter where you buy it. I don't know what, it just do something. But it is a public declaration to the world that we belong to our spouse. It's a public thing. It's not, hey, we're married Some people feel shame about their marriage today. That's not God's heart for marriage. That's not God's desire for marriage. We should publicly declare we're in love. Maybe we did that for the first two weeks, right? And they were like, oh man, that was cute before we got married, but that is not cute anymore. I don't know what the story is in your world, but I do know this. Like, this marriage is to be a public thing that we let the world know we are married. Because it's an awesome thing to celebrate. And there's a lot of confusion around marriage. And there's a lot of concern that marriage really limits my choices in the world. And it limits my freedom. And it limits my uh, ability to enjoy pleasure and all these different things. I mean, just, just look at the world around us and see how they handle marriage. Look at the church. Not just the world. Look at the church that we are a part of and, and see how we handle marriage. It's a public thing. It's exclusive. It's between a man and a woman. It's an exclusive thing. The two people come together and say, we are going to be exclusive to each other. We are going to be faithful to one another. We are going to be committed to one another for a lifetime, permanently. Have you ever tried to glue two pieces of construction paper together with glue? I, was, I thought about doing it this morning, but I'll make a mess because I'm just not very good with glue. But you just kind of glue two pieces of paper together and like leave them for 30 minutes and come back and try to pull them apart. What happens? Just tears. You just get pieces of paper that go both directions. It just it shreds. That's what happens when you try to pull apart what God has joined together. God wants it to be a permanent thing. It's, it's designed to be that way. Oneness. The two will become one flesh. Intimately connected. Socially, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically one. It's an amazing thought. That's what God intended. So that's what God wants us to experience. It's sacred. It's the most sacred intimacy on the planet. That it's this relationship that God designs, desires for us to be in. So a public, exclusive, permanent, lifelong commitment between a man and a woman to give their entire lives to one another. Now, that last little section there, let me just say a couple words here. Um, you know, this is really, really hard stuff. Like, to, it's really hard to embrace giving your entire self to, one, to someone else. Um, but what's beautiful about this is that when you give yourself fully to that other person, 
Um, yes, you are vulnerable. Yes, you can get hurt. Yes, there probably will be some hurts and pains and wounds that come because truthfully, to love someone is to put yourself in a position where they could hurt you, right? The people that can hurt you the most are the people who have closest access. But, 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 know this, that when you are fully known, you can experience intimacy at a whole other level because you actually have the ability to be known, not you have to hide yourself, you get to be known, and that person still accepts you. That's one of the things that blows my mind about my bride. Because she knows the good, the bad, and the ugly in my life, and she still chooses to love me. And you know what that is? It's a tangible demonstration of the love of God. And it's not perfect. And it's not, it's not uh, always, you know, romantic or good or, or fun. But you know what it is? It, it's a tangible demonstration of being able to see what God's love for us is like. And it's just a taste of it because God's love for us is so perfect. That he loves us even, even in our mess. Even in our issues. To give our entire selves to one another. Good, bad, ugly. We must protect this definition of marriage as believers. We must proclaim this definition as believers. And if you are not willing to give yourself to the person at this level, if this is not the commitment that you're willing to make, please, 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 hear me, hear me, church. Please do not get married if you're not willing to give yourself to that other person like this. Do not. Do not, like, put your toe in the water and say, I just, yeah, we'll just try this thing out. Don't do that, please. Please, please, please. And if you are not married yet, but you are just taking it for a test drive, let me just tell you, you are fooling yourself if you think that that's legitimately helping you. In fact, even non-Christian statistics show that people who cohabitate before marriage have a much higher uh, percentage of divorce. And I'm telling you, 75 to 80 percent of all the couples that I do premarital counseling with are already living or physically active together. I'm just telling you, that is not God's plan. He has a better plan for you. And, and women, just a side note here, if you're single, and, and I'm going to talk about more of this when we get to the single talk, but if a man won't respect you before marriage, why would he respect you after marriage? If, he won't tr- if you can't trust him with your heart before marriage, why would you trust him after marriage? Anyway, I'll stop there. <clears throat> I want to give you one more piece, and then we've got to move on um, from, from this passage here. This is huge. My in-laws are in the room, Okay. Just reminding you of that. Verse 24. I want you to catch this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Can I just tell you right now that 90% of my counseling with married people would be done if we could get this issue figured out? I'm not joking. I'm really not. Can I tell you that most of the issues that I deal with when people are, are struggling, maybe you don't see it yet, maybe you haven't heard, you, you don't get it yet, is that the husband or the wife has not left home to become one with their spouse. I, I cannot tell you how many times, and generally speaking, generally speaking, um, it's the man a lot. But the wife can be involved too. And what happens is, is that you've got a man who is raised by a family and his mom, and he's loyal to his mom, and he prioritizes his mom over his wife. Let me tell you, that will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your marriage. And I saw this in my own life. I had some defining conversations with my mom pre-marriage, and I thought it had gotten through, but it didn't. (laughs) 
I needed to continue to work through my issues, and I was still prioritizing at times my wife, my mom over my wife. Brutal. Seven years in. It took me seven years into our marriage before I finally said, I've, this has got to stop. This is controlling me, which is messing with our marriage. And it wasn't my mom's fault. It was me. I can't blame my mom. It was me. And some of you men, you need to have a defining conversation. You need to say, Mom, I'm going to choose my wife over you. It would be huge. And the women are going, yes, please. <laughs> please. And women, listen, if you are constantly going to your home, your, your, your birthplace, your, your parents, if you're going to them for emotional help and support and not turning to your spouse, your husband, you're, you're undermining your marriage. You're hurting your marriage. Can I just tell you, like you've got to leave and to cleave. There's not much written on marriage in this book, but that's one of the big powerful passages right there. It just says, leave and cleave. Leave them behind and move on. Doesn't mean you, you don't have a relationship with them any longer. It means that that is not your highest relationship. That is not your priority relationship. Are you with me? And we need to teach our children this from the time they're young so they, don't, they won't know, you know, they won't think that this is what's supposed to happen. And so like, what, what I mean by that is, we already are teaching our, our, our sons, you know, I've got a seven-year-old son, and he raised, he's raised up in our home. I want him to understand, like, there's a day when he is going to move out of our house, praise Jesus for that day, stop eating our food, yeah, and he's going to become the leader of his home, and he's going to have a, a wife, and you know what, and I'm going to, he's going to make his own decisions, and we're going to respect those decisions because that's his, his own family, he's going to lead them. We need to teach that to our boys. And we need to teach the girls how to, to understand that, yes, they're going to eventually be under the authority of another man. Not in a dominant, iron-fisted authority. I know that's not popular in our world. I'm talking about, like, a willingness to say, yeah, you're my husband, and we're going we're, we're to become a family on our own. We're disconnected. We, we've cut the cord, and we've, we've moved forward, and we've established a new family relationship here. Okay. So what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is this, to build a deep friendship that points people to God. To build a deep friendship. What did he say in the passage? He says he needed a compliment. He, needed, he, he was lonely. And so God says, hey, um, I'm going to give you someone who can compliment you, who can help you, but also I'm going to give you someone who can just be a, a person to interact with, to have a friendship with. You know, the most, most beautiful marriages are when, we're, when, you're, when you're friends. Can I tell you right now, my best friend on the planet is sitting right here on the front row. My best friend on the planet is sitting right here on the front, on the front row. I've got friends that are dudes. I've got some, uh, some friends that, that I like to hang out with. But you know what? My best friend is right here. And it's huge for me because I understand that our friendship is so significant and important to what God has called us to do in life. And hopefully that's what you experience in marriage. It's hopefully that's what you're shooting for is a deep friendship. Again, because we've exposed all of ourselves to one another in essence that, that we get the opportunity to accept and love and care for one another through all of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But notice that points people to God. Ultimately, the, the purpose for marriage is to bring God glory. It's to glorify God. But rather than just trying to say that because that sounds real high and like religious, let me just say, our job is just to reflect the glory of God to the world around us. To reflect the image of God. And this is what it should say. Our marriage should say to people around us, 
God is awesome. God is powerful. God is merciful. God is beautiful. God is gracious. God is wonderful. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is amazing God. And our marriage is just here to just reflect that to the world around us. That's what our marriage should be about. To point people to God. Not to make it about us. That's what it's for. That's what God designed it for. Isn't that an awesome thought? It's like we as individuals have the opportunity to reflect the glory of God, but as we are married and the two become one, there's this amazing, mysterious thing that happens and we get to like amplify that reflection in marriage. And we get to help each other with that. And that's where, what are the three things that kind of, how we actually build that friendship and point people to God? Number one is this, by meeting one another's needs. <clears throat> now let me make a caveat here. I need everybody to turn your ears on, listen up right here, okay? If you believe that your spouse can meet all of your needs, you are fooling yourself, okay? Let's just go ahead and die to that right now. Amen? (laughs) I see some people in the room. Yes. You're agreeing, okay? Because you know your spouse cannot meet all of your needs. And if you try to get your spouse to meet all of your needs, we said this before, you will crush them with your expectations. You will crush, crush them under the weight of your desire for them to meet your needs. But if you will go into marriage saying, I'm going to do what I can to serve and minister to the needs of my spouse, you will begin to experience a marriage like none other. And this is so hard for us. Because by nature, and we'll talk about in a minute, but so by nature we're thinking about how do my needs get met? Listen, marriage, according to culture, the culture says that marriage is a 50-50 deal, right? You provide 50, I provide 50, and that 50 and 50 comes together and we get 100%. That's a lie. It's 100-100. I got to give 100%, you got to give 100%, and somehow, in the midst of all that, it's going to work together because God's great and he's good and gracious. <laughs> okay, because here's the deal. There's some days I, get, I can only give 8%, and by the grace of God, my wife somehow is able to give 92 And there's other days it's flipped. But ultimately, we don't rest in each other to be everything. We can't be everything to one another. But we can be something. We can minister to each other. We can serve one another. We can care for one another. And it's a great, great opportunity to serve one another in that way. In fact, only God can meet all of our needs perfectly. But we get the joy and the privilege of ministering to one another and being that tangible demonstration of the love of God. It's a great thought, isn't it? We get to serve them in that way. And here's just a side note here, okay? You and your marriage, um, this is a piece of wisdom that was passed on to me about seven years ago. I've been hanging on to it and and, and speak it as often as I can. In your marriage, you feel zero percent, zero percent of what your spouse is doing to make your marriage work. You feel zero percent. Guess what? You feel a hundred percent of what you are doing to make your marriage work, right? So when things go bad, what do you do? Look at all I'm doing, and you're doing nothing over there. That's not true. You just can't feel it. And so our assumption sometimes gets us in trouble and puts us in a ditch because we assume they're doing nothing. So we've got we to be on guard against that. We've got to be on guard because we've got to both work at this thing to minister. Not only that, we get to help one another grow up. We get to, we get to help one another grow up. Grow up into what? Grow it up into following Jesus. And not even just to make this a spiritual thing, but I, I love talking with young men uh, pre-marriage 
and just telling them, oh boy, you know the way you live right now is going to change, buddy. Life's getting ready to change for you, okay? Because all of us know when you get married, like, you either grow up or you get out. And a lot of people in our culture get out. But you got to grow up. You got to grow up in how you manage your time and how you manage your money because it's no longer just you. It's you're managing and administering to another person and you're responsible for them and you're leading them. Whether it's good or bad leadership, you're leading them. And so it's hard work to do this, but it's also incredibly fun. It's incredibly rewarding. And uh, one of my mentors said, used to say it this way. If you want to follow Jesus, stay single. If you want to be like Jesus, get married. Let that sink in for a sec. You see, when you're not married, you have a lot more flexibility and freedom to just go and do, right? When you're married, you have divided interests, and every bit of selfishness in your body is, is tested. <laughs> and every, every bit of your life now, you've got divided interests, and you, you have to serve, and you get to, to see all the issues that you have come out in that crucible of marriage. But it's an awesome thought that we get to help each other grow up. Third is this, and this is a fun one. You get to multiply worshipers of God. In the Genesis story, he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And can I just tell you this morning, I'm doing really good with this one. I may not be doing good at the other ones, but I got six kids. We are, we are making some progress here, okay? I'm just trying to be biblical, all right? Be fruitful and multiply. But not just make babies, not just have more kids, but make worshipers of God. To raise those kids up and point them to, to Christ so that they would follow Jesus and then they would become people who point others to life in Christ. Multiplying worshipers. Populating the planet with image bearers of God that are bent on making God known in all the earth. How fun is that? How hard is that? I see some tired eyes in this room. Yeah. But it's an awesome gift, isn't it? And we're going to talk about uh, parenting in a few weeks from now. And I'm excited to do that because it's such an awesome opportunity that we have, stewardship that God's given us. So what are the threats to marriage? What are some threats to marriage? Um, Really three three threats that I want to mention briefly this morning. First one is this. The biggest threat to marriage is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Looking out for number one. Putting number one, you're putting yourself first in that, that first priority position. And listen, culture celebrates this. You should think about what you want, how you want it, are they meeting your needs? Are they serving you? Are they, are, is it, do you feel like it's a good marriage? Do you feel loved? Do you feel cared for? If not, you need to get out of this thing. Like that's the way that most people come to marriage again. And they, they, they're just self-centered. We, should I say we are self-centered, okay? I am self-centered. And so, so by nature, one of the biggest threats to experiencing the marriage God has for us is just for me to make it all about me. What can I get out of this thing? And it's just killing us. The second thing is this, easy outs. Our culture says, if it's not working, get a divorce. You can get out. I mean, you can go online. You can type in some information on a legal doc and print it up. And man, pretty quickly, you can be out of your marriage and move on. And it, it hasn't really changed that much from even when Jesus' day, uh, what was going on in Jesus' day. Because these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they, they just filed for certificate of divorce be, because they just didn't like their wife. They were like, oh, I just like, I like a new wife. And so I just filed for divorce. They'd find some way to say she was unfaithful and move on. Jesus calls that out in Matthew chapter 19. And he says this, uh, as he's quoting from Genesis. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined 
together, man must not separate. You ever heard that before? At a wedding, right? That's a phrase directly from the Bible. That what God has joined together, man should not separate. Now let me just make a, a, a statement here. This is real important for you. Because I realize in a room this size, and looking around, that there are a number of you who have been divorced. Who have experienced the pain of divorce. And I want you to understand, straight up, God hates divorce. He hates it. It says it in Malachi 2, 16, God hates divorce. We see that he says, even in Matthew, the passage there, he says the only reason it's even allowable is because of the hardness of men's heart. He's saying because of sin, because of the issues in the world. But he hates divorce. He loves people, even divorced people he loves, but he hates divorce. You know why? Because, listen, divorce is messy. It's nasty. I mean, people I talk to who've gone through divorce Look at the financial implications. Look at the, 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 the devastation it's had on their kids. Look at the emotional and, the, and the, suffer, the, the pain and the suffering they've gone through. It's terrible. God hates that stuff. He hates divorce. He hates the effects of divorce. And if you have gone through a divorce today, I want you to know, God can redeem even that messy divorce you've gone through. He can redeem that. He can work through that. He's bigger than all that. But if you are married and you are considering divorce... Don't think that for one minute that's an easy out. Don't think for one minute that if you just say no to the thing and move on and you get a divorce, that it's just going to be an easy way out. If you're in a marriage and there are, there's unfaithfulness and there, there are issues that are there, that's a whole other conversation. Let me, know, let me just tell you, like, I'm not advocating that you stay in a place where you're getting beaten or you're, uh, you're being abused, any of that stuff, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but I'm telling you that if you're in a marriage and that's not what's really going on here, it's just purely that you are selfish, they're selfish, and it's just not working, and you haven't, you haven't cultivated your marriage in a long time, like, stay married. The grass is not always greener, right? And that's the next thing, is that the other, the other major, major threat is wandering hearts. Wandering hearts. In general, men struggle with sexual affairs where women struggle with emotional affairs. In general. Now, again, there's exceptions to that rule, so... I don't know where you are. I don't know how your eyes and your heart are wandering. But I know this, that we live in a world that is full of opportunities to be promiscuous and to be unfaithful, to be impure. The pornography industry has created an unrealistic view of women for men in our culture. And it just drives me crazy. It makes me so angry that we would call women just a piece of meat to be served up on a platter. I, I just, I hate it. I hate what, what Hollywood has painted for women to say that this is what a marriage could look like. And just this, it's just all romanticized so much that there's no problems, there's no issues, there's no struggles. That's, that's bogus. It's not true. Marriage is hard, but it's good. It's hard work. It's difficult, but God can still use it. So self-centeredness, easy outs, wondering hearts. If that's the threat, what's the power? How do we actually get into a marriage that God wants us to have and stay in that marriage? How do we actually experience what God has for us? Anybody in here want to experience the kind of marriage that God has for you? Okay, I don't, it's okay to raise your hand. I mean, seriously, we want to experience that, don't we? Don't you want the best marriage you could ever have? I don't think people get into marriages going, I hope my marriage fails. I hope I had the worst marriage. I'm just, I just, that's what I'm looking forward to. Nobody does that. 
we get into marriage hoping that we have a great marriage. Listen, if you want to have a great marriage, there is hope. You can. I realize that more and more people are choosing not to get married because they see all the, the downsides to marriage. But if you will do marriage God's way, you will still have hardship, you will still have struggle, but you will also experience a relationship like none other. Here is the power for marriage. It's not going to come as a surprise to most of you in this room. It's this, the, the work of Jesus for us and in us. The work of Jesus for us and in us. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, Paul is writing about marriage. And once again, he quotes from Genesis 2, 24. And he says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We already heard that from Genesis 2. We already heard that from Matthew. It's in Mark. Jesus is quoting it there. And Paul's now quoting it. But then he adds this piece. He said, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Wait, wait, wait. How do we just go from marriage to Christ and the church? Well, we didn't read the passage that kind of precedes this. In fact, Josue is actually going to teach next week from this passage and talk about the roles of marriage and how men and women interact within the marriage and how we have different responsibilities. But listen to this. If you want to know how marriage is supposed to work, look at Jesus and the church. He is our example of what it means to be a perfect spouse. He is our example because what did Jesus do for the church? He laid down his very life for the church. He sacrificed everything for the church. Why? Because it was the only way that we could be with God forever. It's the only way that our relationship could be restored. It was the only way that our sin could be forgiven. And so this morning, if you want to know what the power for marriage is, the power for marriage is that you are saved, not because of your performance in your marriage, but because of Christ's performance on your behalf and on my behalf. If you want to know Jesus this morning, you don't have to jump through a hoop to do it. You have to receive the gift by faith and say, Jesus, I believe that what you did for me on the cross was sufficient to forgive me of my sin, to save me from my sin. And when you come from that place, guess what? Your marriage will no longer be your highest goal, your highest idol. It will no longer be that thing that you, you put so high up there that it can never meet your expectations. And when it doesn't meet your expectations, you either give up or you just, get, you just, you know, you just abuse your spouse and I'm not talking about just the physical abuse here, but you literally just abuse them with your, your words and your actions and, and the, the, the way that you in, uh, interact with them because you are trying to make them God in your life. But when Jesus is God in your life and he's on your throne and you're saved, then you can come into marriage as a giver, not just a taker. Are you with me? You can come to marriage and say you actually have something to give because Christ has given us everything. You see, here's the thing. This morning... Jesus is not only our example, he is our savior. Is there hope for our marriage? Absolutely there's hope for our marriage. If we are willing to turn, from, turn to God and ask him to rescue us from this bogus view of marriage, this unrealistic view of marriage that we're being sold, this bill of goods, and actually turn and say, God, help us. He shows us how to love our spouse and be a sacrificial in that love. He died so that we can become what we cannot become on our own. He made a way for us to be committed to this thing rather than just being casual. He made a way for us to live selflessly instead of selfishly as he showed us what that looked like. 
He's made it possible for us to experience deep intimacy and oneness despite our sin because we're forgiven. I don't have to hide from my spouse. I'm forgiven. I don't have to live and die by what she says to me. In fact, even this way, he made it possible for me to give criticism without crushing Jada and for me to receive criticism from her without being crushed by it. Because my worth and identity is not tied to what Jada thinks about me. And it's not tied to what, you, what your spouse thinks about you. Our worth and identity has been settled in Christ. So we can have a real relationship now. We don't perform for one another. When we put Christ at the center of our marriage, we will learn to demonstrate grace and acceptance like he has demonstrated to us. Because we don't deserve one thing God's given us, do we? But he's given it to us anyway. And there's days I don't deserve anything from my wife. And by the grace of God, she still loves me. And there's days the converse is true. Fewer of those days. I want you to see a story this morning on the screen that speaks to this very thing. And we'll close out.
God is the redeemer of our lives, and he's the redeemer of our marriages. And I don't know what your story is today, but whatever you're facing, he's bigger, and he's greater, and his grace is sufficient. Um, I'm going to ask the, the band to come up as I pray, and I just want to pray over us this morning. And my prayer is this. One, if, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, to be sufficient for your salvation, like, he loves you, and he's offering that this morning. But secondly, as they sing this song, I just want you to stop and you reflect over your marriage or your, hope, your hopeful marriage. Um, and, and maybe even for those of you that are single in the room, um, just pray for the marriages around you or what God has for you with your singleness and what he wants to do in that. But let's ask God to, to help us reflect his goodness and his grace and his glory to the world through our marriages. Let's pray.